Two new phones have come into my life, each very unique from what I've grown used to, and I'm going to take some time to talk about them. Plus, we sit down with Olaf from Vidhance to talk about making your videos less bouncy. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we have a pair of top stories. First, we have an interview with a company called Vidhance. They make electronic stabilization software, which is licensed to OEMs. Specifically, they make EIS software that went into the Moto Edge Plus, so I wanted to chat with them about how they got there. Next, well, we were supposed to have Cliff's look at the Moto Edge, but unfortunately we had to pull that review. The fact of the matter is, reviews take a ton of time, and... I'm not paying Cliff to work with me here, and every bit of what he does to help around the show comes from the kindness of his heart. And I know, I know how much you were clamoring to hear about a mid-range phone that launched eight months ago. Oh, that's got a sting. But to make it up for you, I'm going to chat with you about a pair of recent phones that came into my life that are forcing me to rethink everything that I know about phones and my Android workflow. And we'll get to that, but first, we have to dive into the news of the week. Before we get started, a little announcement. We have our winners for the You Review giveaway. Congratulations to listeners Darren and Herb. And if you're thinking to yourselves, boy, those names sound familiar, it's because, yeah, they submitted questions for all three You Reviews. I did pick the winners randomly, but between the two of them, they had like 50% of the entries. So more questions, people more questions. Speaking of which, next week we have our look at the TCL 10 5G. Following that, we're looking at the iPhone 12 Pro. And then beyond that, we have the LG Wing and any other devices that happen to come across my desk, which I will tell you about when I get them. So for now, let's get to the news. So I'm just going to wade right into this one so we can get it over with and put it behind us like so, so many of us would love to do with this election. And frankly, this year, ugh. The Verge reports that YouTube is allowing a number of far-right outlets to pump out video after video, declaring that Donald Trump is the winner of the election and that the Democrats are pumping out fake ballots trying to steal the election. <sighs> Okay, so I will admit that as I write this script late on Thursday night, I'm rewarding myself every time I finish a section by allowing myself to hit the refresh button on the Google tab that says Georgia election results. And I will admit that I do have a horse in this race, and that horse's name is not Donald Trump. And, okay, all right, you know what? I'm just going to stop because I had like 400 words written here, and I just deleted them because this is a tech show, not a politics show. Besides, the sooner I get the section done, the sooner I can hit refresh. Anywho, as of this writing, the presidential race has not been decided, and frankly, it's a toss-up, and there's not enough scotch in the world. But YouTube is allowing, and I could say a number of channels, but it's actually more of a wide swath of channels, to promote misinformation and outright lies about the election, mostly about voter fraud and mail-in ballots. But anyway... Those videos are still up and running, and YouTube isn't doing a damn thing about it. And would you like to know why? Because YouTube is making bank off this stuff, son, hells yeah! The longer people stay on its platform, the happier YouTube gets. So if outrage and misinformation are what sells, then YouTube is doubling down on it. 
It's actually kind of gross, but then who needs YouTube and Facebook to spread nonsense conspiracy theories when you have the White House? So, you know what, YouTube? I guess you're off the hook. Simon Hill over at Wired asked a question that I've been asking myself for years. Why do printers still suck? And frankly, there's no good answer. Hill lays out the whole process, which is as follows. Buy a printer, use a printer, enjoy this brief honeymoon period when the printer actually works as intended, forget about the printer for a few weeks until you need it again, run an urgent print job that you need immediately, the printer does not work, waste a day trying to get the printer working, go to a print shop, get rid of the printer, rinse and repeat. And this is basically my process, except for the print shop part. Well, actually, maybe I should rename my hammer the print shop to line up with Simon's experience. Look, people, I hate printers, and if at all forever possible, I would never print anything ever again. Annotation for the win, baby. I will say that my wife, who is a teacher, cannot possibly get away with not using a printer and she picked up a new HP printer, and it's been working pretty darn well. I've put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. It has managed to live through the pandemic so far, and ironically, it works better from my phone than it does from my Mac, so go figure. So let's turn to some positive news, and I will say that for the most part, the rest of our news is pretty cool and positive, so let's go with it. This week, we saw the 20th anniversary of humans living on the ISS full-time. For over 20 years, people have lived in low-Earth orbit, which is astounding and remarkable and, frankly, restores my faith in humanity because there's so little of that down here. Kenny Todd, NASA's Deputy Program Manager for the International Space Station, said, quote, There's kids now who are in college who, for their entire lives, we've been living off the planet. And, okay, now I feel old. But it's still pretty remarkable that human beings have been living and working in space for longer than I've been out of college, and that's just awesome. And we're going to bask in that awesomeness, so everybody, on three, one, two, three, bask. And we're done. I recently completed my review of the Samsung Galaxy S20 Fan Edition, and true to my word, that phone is still in my pocket today. It's a secondary SIM, but it's still with me. But not for long, because I need to get a jump on the TCL 10 5G UW that's coming up soon. But anyway, the Samsung Galaxy S20 FE now has a younger brother called the Samsung Galaxy S20 Fan Edition, now with 256 gigabytes of storage. That's right, there are now two variants of the Fan Edition phone, and the newest one comes with, you guessed it, 256 gigabytes of storage. But it's going to cost you an extra 70 bucks. Priced at $769, this latest version gets even closer to being one of the best phones of the year. I can't say I can complain too much about the 128 gigabytes of storage, but honestly, had this phone been around when I bought the Fan Edition, I might have ponied up for the extra 70 bucks. but now we'll never know, and I only have 24 more payments to go before I can explore that option again. So overall, it's a minor upgrade, so we don't need to spend any more time on it. This next story is really neat. You may have heard of the Raspberry Pi, which is basically a mini computer contained on a single circuit board for less than $100, which is super neat. Use cases for the Raspberry Pi generally entail tinkering, making gadgets that require a bit of computing power. They're not MacBooks, but they are better than a calculator. Well, allow me to introduce you to the Raspberry Pi 400. This is basically a Raspberry Pi 4, 
but it's built into a keyboard. There's two mini HDMI ports and three USB ports. It has a quad-core 64-bit processor, four gigabytes of RAM, and it has built-in Wi-Fi and more. Basically, you plop down the keyboard, plug in a monitor, or two monitors, actually, and just go. It's a really interesting device on the face of it. Personally, I've never been the flavor of geek that got into Raspberry Pis, but the Raspberry Pi 400 seems genuinely accessible to someone like me. I'm not really 100% sure what I would do with it, aside from general computing, but it's still super fascinating. It's also a bit of a departure from previous Raspberry Pi offerings, which were basically circuit boards with some naked I.O. that you could stick into a box and build really neat geocaches out of it. But this is much more geared towards the personal computing aspect of devices, and overall, I'm not sure if that's for the better or not, but I do know that for the first time, I'm actually very interested in picking up a Raspberry Pi and that is a win. Some delightful news out of the Pixel 5 camp. I don't recall Google sharing this particular feature during the Pixel 5 introduction, but it seems that the Pixel 5 has reverse wireless charging. And that's not news. But what is news is that when the Pixel 5 is plugged into a USB-C cable, reverse wireless charging turns on automatically, and the Pixel 5 basically becomes a Qi charging pad. Now, that's pretty nifty, and frankly, it's a great idea. Again, reverse wireless charging isn't really a good idea for charging phones, but for accessories like the Pixel Buds, it's a wonderful idea, and automatically starting it up when connected to power is absolutely brilliant. Well done, Google. Wireless charging is one of those things that just feels like using the future, and having a phone that works so brilliantly along with its accessories is just another step in that direction. What I don't know is why Google didn't go out of its way to show off this feature during its introduction. Unless I just totally missed it, which is a possibility. All the same, it's really cool that Google included this, and it's a major win. Now, if only Google hadn't also included millimeter wave tech and kept the price at $600, then you'd be listening to my Pixel 5 review in a few weeks. Instead, you're going to get the iPhone 12, and frankly, I blame Google. You know me, I don't report on rumors generally, but this one is kind of a neat one. LG has been awarded a patent, which is, yes, an incredibly long way away from an actual product, but still, a patent for a phone with a scrolling, expandable screen similar to what we saw from TCL earlier this year. But this time, both sides of the phone extend out, so your rectangle becomes a square just by tugging on the sides a little bit. Now, the fact that LG was awarded this patent isn't exciting by itself, but when you consider that this is the second company working on a concept like this, and this seems right up the alley of LG's new Explorer program, well, that's something to write home about. And the neat thing about this concept is with new advances in flexible glass, this screen stands to be better protected than some other foldables on the market right now. Folding to the outside means there's a wider turn radius, which means that glass doesn't have to bend as far, which could mean that it's going to be sturdier. Now, I realize this is a whole bag's worth of assumptions that I'm making, but it still stands to be pretty awesome, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on something like this in the not-too-distant future. Xbox Series X and S reviews dropped today, and we're focusing on Ars Technica's look at the consoles because they dig into a lot of details that other reviewers don't really do. Specifically, and I'm sorry about how I'm about to pronounce this, but Sam Makovec calls the consoles not really necessary to the Xbox platform, citing powerful PCs and even Android phones that can play most of the Xbox ecosystem. 
but that doesn't mean they're bad. Far from it. They're actually pretty great $500 and $300 machines. He cites load times for popular Xbox games as being faster on the Xbox than on $1,000 plus gaming computers, and the quiet that these two consoles bring is just whisper quiet. All that being said, he knows that these three consoles aren't required, but they are preferred ways to play Microsoft's first-party titles and a number of other third-party titles as well. There's still some issues with the first-party games, notably Halo not being available at launch, but still, these two machines seem to be punching above their weight classes, so if you were waiting for a good time to pick one up, now might be that time. A startup in Israel called Extend is looking into the possibility of deploying drones as guards in shopping malls. That's assuming anyone ever goes to a shopping mall ever again. The drones themselves would be monitored by security personnel and actually have a screen on them to show them the face of the operator like a telepresence. The drones would only deploy inside so as not to require licensing by the FAA. FYI, if you ever fly a drone inside, you can basically do anything you want as far as the FAA is concerned. The drones could also be remotely operated in multiples, as in a drone sees something suspicious and an operator could dispatch a second drone to investigate while the first drone continues its round and the guard could flip in between them. Personally, I don't see it. I mean, I've seen mall security guards, and let's just say they don't inspire confidence in their Segway piloting, let alone aerial vehicles. Flying a drone is not easy, folks. It's more likely that the security guard crashes into a gaggle of teenagers than it is to break up a fight or deter a thief. I'm sure the startup will try to account for as many contingencies as possible, but it's far more likely to get someone hurt than to save someone. All the same, good luck and Godspeed, and if any of us ever go to a mall again, you know, keep your head on a swivel. And finally, one of the best values in technology just got a lot better, but with a slightly harder to swallow price tag. DJI introduced the DJI Mini 2 Sans Mavic branding. The new Mini drone is still under 249 grams, which means it doesn't have to be registered with the FAA before you fly it, which is pretty sweet. The upgraded model now goes for $50 more than the original Mavic Mini. For the extra bucks, you get full 4K video recording and up to 4X zoom both of which are awesome. Drone flying is one of my favorite things to do, even though most of the time it's really too windy in Chicago to do anything substantial in my neck of the woods. Come spring and summer, though, you can bet I'll be out there piloting away. Since I already have the Mavic Mini, I probably won't be picking up a DJI Mini 2, but you probably should. It's funny, for the past couple of years, I've said that the Oculus Quest and the Mavic Mini were the two best deals in tech because they had the same price tag. And now one of them is a steal at $300, and the other one is still pretty okay at $450. Personally, I'd spring for a Fly More combo for an extra $150, which makes it an even better deal because you get a case and extra batteries and chargers, and trust me, it's just a much better combination. So pick one up today, and you could be taking flight tomorrow without first calling the FAA. You probably shop at Amazon, right? Sure you do. I shop there, honestly, way more than I probably should. Fortunately, there's a great way that you can do what you do and help out the show at the same time. If you visit benefitofadow.com support, you'll find a link to my store on Amazon. Click on the link and voila, you're at Amazon. So go ahead and search up something and if you buy it, 
I might get a small commission, and it won't cost you anything extra. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com slash support. That's benefitofthedow.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadow.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you go shopping. And as always, I thank you for listening. Recently, I had a pair of phones come into my life that are forcing me to rethink everything that I know about using my phone. And those phones are the LG Wing and the iPhone 12 Pro. And while both of those phones are way too new in my life to give a proper review, I did have some initial thoughts that I wanted to share. And it's my podcast, so I'm going to share them. And we'll start with the iPhone 12. First of all, it is super weird using iOS without a home button. Face ID is pretty solid though no complaints there but then i haven't gone shopping with a mask on with the phone so stay tuned for that i also think that my use of android gestures properly trained me to get used to the gesture-based navigation system on the iphone but damn does the iphone need a back button Notifications are basically a dumpster fire. They're disorganized and barely functional. They will tell you that something happened and then offer no help beyond that. And I'll be honest, 30% of my workflow on Android is done in the notifications, replying to messages, archiving emails, liking tweets, etc. iOS is basically none of that, or at least none that I can find. I'm still moving into the phone and I need to set up a lot of accounts, so I'm not going to call that one a miss just yet, but ugh. God, they're still gross. iOS has taught me how heavily I rely on Android to store my passwords. Actually, I use a combination of Google and LastPass, so I'm, for the most part, platform agnostic in that sense. But man, just having Google autofill basically everything for me is such a win. And it's amazing how rough it is once you don't have that anymore. Of course, that'll change as I move into the iPhone and put all my passwords into the keychain. And then I'll have three companies that all know my passwords. And what could possibly go wrong with that? Now, one thing that is really amazing, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, is when you transfer your data over from another iOS device, everything, and I mean everything, is there. Apps, folders, logins. I didn't have to log into Twitter. It was amazing. But it really is just as if you set down one phone and picked up another, and it's just ready to go. And it's, I I hate to overuse the word amazing, but it's amazing, and I love, 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 love it. Now, I know why Google can't do that, different skins, different folders, different home layouts, etc. But it just goes to show why Google should start regulating that stuff so it can build in those APIs or, you know, whatever Google would have to do. I'm not a programmer. Apple makes the experience of picking up a new device amazing. And as the saying goes, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And this is a baller first impression. Also, the integration with other Apple devices is pretty slick. Taking phone calls on your computer, for example. Now, I know that's not new, but it's still pretty great. I dare say Samsung and Microsoft's implementation of actually using apps on the desktop is a bit more impressive. One thing, and this isn't related to the iPhone at all, but one thing I haven't been able to take advantage of is the iPad as a second screen thing because my MacBook is too old. But it's this kind of deep integration between an ecosystem of devices that gets me really excited. I've got a lot more to learn here, and aside from reviewing phones, 
I'm going to make this phone my daily driver throughout the winter because while I can say I'm familiar with iOS, I'm starting to learn that I'm not as deeply integrated as I need to be in order to really do you a service as an expert. And I want to fix that. Besides, I have two SIM cards, and during the winter I wear a coat with two phone pockets in it, so while I carry the iPhone as a primary, I'll have either the Samsung or the Pixel as a secondary phone. Haven't decided which yet, but honestly, it's probably the Samsung. So I'm not completely divorcing myself from Android. In fact, now I want to talk to you about the other disruption, the LG Wing. Now, I have to admit that at first I was both excited at what LG was doing, while at the same time kind of poo-pooing it because seriously what a gimmick right then i got one in my hands and it's like hey how you doing and in the first days i went back and forth between i'm not going to open the screen unless i can think of a tangible benefit for doing so and okay i'm going to open the screen every time because it's the best way to discover tangible benefits of this thing and i'm Still not sure where I'm going to land on that particular debate. I have been using the Wing quite a bit for videography, which, by the way, I have like three videos I need to produce and release this weekend, so don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and smash that bell. The gimbal action on this phone is pretty slick, from eliminating bounce from video footage to electronically panning shots for B-roll. I love, love, love it so much. The LG Wing does a lot of things right, but I've found a couple of foibles as well. For instance, when you're in gimbal mode, it's video or bust, bro. You can't take stills in that mode, which I guess it makes sense because you're using the ultra-wide camera in that mode, which is not going to be as good as the main sensor. I would say you should give people the option of doing like a panoramic shot or something with the ultra-wide, but, you know, they might like it, they might not, it's up to them. The orientation of the smaller screen can be problematic as well, like when you're using the phone while it's open and you rotate it 90 degrees and the second screen just <laughs> kind of stays in its original orientation. Yeah, that can be annoying. Also, it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out how to add apps to the custom scroll wheel screen when the device is open. The shortcuts for opening two apps at once are pretty awesome. And I kind of wish that the bottom screen was just like maybe a half an inch so bigger to accommodate scrolling a bit better, but for overall what it is, it's honestly pretty great. Multitasking is a real beast on this. I love watching Netflix and keeping up with the election, or adding links to my rundown while keeping up with the election, or playing Call of Duty Mobile while keeping up with the election. I joke, but seriously, having that second window down there, even to IMDB an actor while you're watching a show, is really neat. And as much as I'd love to see other app developers build in some functionality into that space, I honestly don't see that happening. LG has done a great job with the partnerships that it has in place, like Asphalt 9, which uses a second screen to show you a map of the course as you race. I'd like to see controller functionality down there, similar to what the dual screen case brings when you're playing other games. But one thing I can definitively say about the LG Wing is that this is not a crazy idea. It's just an idea, and that's an important distinction. And in a few ways, which I'll dive into on my full review, the LG Wing is a better multi-screen implementation beyond the dual-screen case. And I think if you've been listening for a while, you'll probably know one of the ways that I'm talking about. But you're going to have to wait until December to find out if you're right. 
Our next guest on the podcast will very likely have some influence over how you use your phone sometime in the not-too-distant future. He's a sales engineer over at Vidhance who is developing really cool video enhancement software for your phone's camera. Vidhance has already been integrated into Motorola's latest flagship device, the Motorola Edge Plus, and it's only a matter of time before other OEMs jump on board that train. Oleg Bjork, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, it's very exciting to have you. Um, just a little background here. You, your company first came to my attention back in April when um, one of your PR folks reached out to me uh, talking about the Motorola Edge Plus and saying, hey, Motorola is using this really cool enhancement software to, uh, to, for in its video production, and we thought you might want to, you know, chat about it and i'm like yeah that's cool so uh, you know but you know I, I told him i'm like i'm kind of more of a hands-on kind of guy <laughs> so like you know if you're you know if, if there's a story here let's uh, let's see so what what vidhance ended up doing was they sent me two identical pixel twos with right. vidhance's software on there and they said okay turn one on <laughs> and turn <laughs> and leave it off on the other one and go for a walk and see how it looks and sure right. enough right. Uh, I mean, sure enough, I, I was able to test this out and, you know, we I did a few tests. And of course, after I sent back the phones, I thought of a couple other tests that I wanted to do. But whatever, maybe we could talk about those here. Uh, but I did the test and I, I looked at the video side by side and it's fairly remarkable the difference that just some software tweaks can make in uh, video quality. So uh, thanks for coming on and for joining me. And I, if my voice sounds like I'm really tired, that's because you're in Sweden and <laughs> I have a fence that's being built in half an hour. So we, <laughs> we needed to do this a little bit early in the morning. So why don't we start off, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about Vidhance and what got Vidhance started in this field and, um, and, you know, stuff like that. Just give us kind of like a, a high-level sure, view sure. of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so we were founded back in 2007 and uh, started by doing image uh, type of solutions for the defense industry. Okay. Um, and then we did that for a couple of years. And then back in like 2014 or so, uh, do you remember how the, uh, the smartphone video looked back then? I Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess we realized back then that there's a huge market here um, that could use some uh, some love. So we realized that our solutions serving the defense industry, it's kind of similar. Like uh, we could use, we have the knowledge, we have some solutions already. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe give this a shot. And so we did. So we did. All right, and here we are today. So um, what are some of the perceived deficiencies in camera technology um, that made Vinhance see this need in the industry? Like, what were some of the, like, wow, we can totally fix that. So what were, like, some of those, mm -hmm. um, some of those moments that you saw? Right, right. Um, so I'd say the single best improvement you can do to a video is definitely getting it stable. Like, of okay. course, you need you need a reasonable um, exposure and everything and reasonable pixel quality. But a shaky video, no matter how good uh, the image quality is, will right. still be a bad experience. Right. So that's where we started. We started with the electronic image stabilization solution because that's basically the, yeah, the best improvement you can make. Okay, so like when, when OEMs talk about electric image stabilization, they're kind of talking about what Vidhance does. Right, exactly, okay. yeah. And I mean, like I can I can attest from my uh, from my couple of from the few videos that I shot, 
it's it's almost like it's it's almost like using a gimbal versus not right, like right. and and like that was actually one of the tests that I wanted to try like I didn't think to use a, a, like a um, a, a, a GoPro uh, oh. while I mm-hmm. while I was doing the walking around because I actually had a third slot on my uh, on my jury jury rigged yeah. uh, camera thing but anyway um so like but I mean like I have used gimbals before and I've seen what stabilized video looks like and I've I've even used gimbals similarly to how I tested Vinhance because that mm-hmm. was one of the things I wanted to try so now I, I just I regret that I didn't do it side by side right but i mean right. going from not electric stabilized to vid Hans's electric stabilization was mm-hmm. night and day i right. mean it, it's a it, good feeling right it, it was a very good feeling so so you're working with motorola and obviously motorola wanted to you know bring the bring the sexy to their to their phones so what were some of the challenges that you have to deal with in order to bring your technology to um OEMs, phones, you know, whatever, mm, what, right. whatever you're going to bring your technology to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one big challenge that we have is that we're not like we don't we're not doing an app solution. Like you can't just download this from the app store and get it running. Mm-hmm. We have to integrate the software quite deep down in the hardware abstraction layers in mm-hmm. the smartphones, and so that requires you to like uh, lift the hood up in the sure. smartphone and work together with the. Uh, usually the camera software teams in the uh, smartphone manufacturers. Um, and that's uh, that's not just something that you do in a day or two. There's a lot of stuff going on, and there are many, many, many thousands of lines of codes. Um, I bet. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big challenge that we have um, to get it smoothly running. Like, it's one thing just having the algorithms, um, having a good stabilization solution, and then it's a completely other thing, actually having it up and running in a commercial project. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I don't want you to give away the farm here, but if you could kind of just talk about like how Vidhance goes about getting the stabilization that it does, like if you could talk about the software sure, sure. side and even some of the hardware integration, like like I don't I don't want you to give away trade secrets <laughs> or anything, but no you know worries. if you could just give us like a general view, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so. Uh, well, it's all based on that uh, the smartphone or any device that has these types of sensors, um, you have different types of motion sensors, right? You have like mm-hmm. the gyroscope, the accelerometer. And so using these sensors, uh, you can do some stuff with it. You can you can see, okay, so where is the device located relative to some other time? Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and then you take this one step further, right? So... You're thinking, okay, so so you have the you have the image from one point in time, and then the other image from another point in time, and you know okay. the motion in between mm-hmm. these two images, right? From the from the sensors. Yeah. So let's just calculate the difference, like the the motion, and align it. It's okay. pretty much as simple as that. And of course, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, to be able to do that, but in sure. High level overview. That's that's what we're doing. That's really neat, and I mean, it's it's so it's so intuitive when you like really stop and think about it. It's like you know you have all those sensors on the phone. You may as well use them for like other things than just right, you know right. fall detection or something like yeah, that. But, yeah. Um, you know, you've got the you've got the phones that can automatically retract the camera if you happen to drop it. Well, you yeah. can use those sensors for other things too. So it's it's really brilliant, and it's it's one of those 
it's one of those like subtly brilliant things like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so, so well done, Vidhans. Um, so Thank what? Uh, so aside from electric stabilization, you had a couple of other things that you were able to show me, which were kind of neat. Yeah. So I, I, maybe you could tell us a little bit about like some other features that Vidhans can bring to the uh, to right. the electric video camera. Yeah. So our the like- electric video camera that was terrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our core feature is the electronic image stabilization, right? So mm-hmm. it basically stabilizing um, the uh, the video. But then we can we can do some other stuff when we know that the video is stabilized. Then we can look further, like what's what's next? What's the next steps in improving video software um, and improving the video experience and the user experience? Uh, I think our uh, main mission, I think, is to just uh, easing the, the user-friendliness of capturing video, like bridging the gap between professional users with their expensive camera equipment and amateur smartphone users. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, we're doing, we're having some nice Zoom solutions that are letting, basically letting software do the zooming instead of doing this horrible pinch zooming that always ends up jagged and, and pretty hard and ugly. Right. Right, and I believe I believe when we were uh, when we were talking about this off the air, we called that fancy zoom air. <laughs> right, yeah, so, I think we did. Yeah, so uh, but I mean, obviously there are official names for this. I believe that one was called fan- live compose, and there was also right. an au- uh, exactly. there was also an auto zoom, which right. uh, basically uh, two very similar things. And one of the cool things, just to this is so much fun to do on an audio podcast, talk about video enhancement. <laughs> um, but one of the one of the cool things about the live compose and the auto zoom was, you know, you were able to to still see the entire picture in the frame. Like you could see like what you were zooming in on. There was like a box basically that kind of like yeah. came in off the frame, but then you could see the rest of the frame. So you could still frame up your shot. And from a creator standpoint, I, and I'm using that term very loosely in my case, but still from a creator standpoint, it was very nice to be able to see the entire field plus the actual shot composition inside that, inside that Fancy zoom, and I love calling yeah, it fancy zoom because feature. it's so much fun. It is, it is. So, what are some other kind of features that? What's next in Vidhance's portfolio? What's what are some of the next things that you're going to be tackling in the video enhancement realm? Right, right. Um, so, one of our latest products, for example, is uh, our horizon correction solution. Which, whenever you start filming, right, it's a very small chance that you're actually holding the device completely steady and uh, level with the horizon, right? Mm-hmm. That's a difficult thing. But then there's this data on gravity that are uh, that's freely available. Yes, gravity exists. Yes, I'm, I know. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm messing with you. <laughs> right, so we know then uh, in the smartphone, we know what's up and what's down. So let's use that, right? right? So we know what's down. Let's just keep the video the correct way. And is that something that you're going to do? Like, because I know the Google Pixel 4a will do like a horizon thing. It'll like actually show mm-hmm. you a line showing you what the horizon is. But is that something that Vidhance is going to do by itself? Or is that going to be more of like a, is that going to be more Google Pixel-ish where it kind of shows you where the where the horizon is and says, get, your, mm, get yourself right. there, you noob. Oh, um, no, no. Uh, we can do this automatically for you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So you don't cool. have to do that yourself. No. 
Yeah, so when you've got the uh, shot of the Eiffel Tower in the background, it doesn't look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's yeah, better. Exactly. That's better. It's now, what solution. happens What happens if you point that at the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Now, there's a question for you. <laughs> Aha! You gotta better better test that before you uh, before you ship that feature. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, just I'm just having some fun because I'm yeah. really tired because you're in Sweden. Anyway, so um, great. Well, so I think that kind of covers um, what Vidhance is what Vidhance is bringing. Can you share any information with like any other maybe OEMs that you're working with right now that we might be able to see your software on in the not too distant future? Right, right. Well, um, our customers are usually very, very uh, strict on not disclosing exactly which features in which devices that were, uh, I'm guessing not just us, but any any third-party supplier. Right. Um, But for example, uh, our customers include Xiaomi and Huawei, um, Oppo and Vivo. Those are a couple of big, big companies. Yeah, there's a couple names in there you might our our listeners might be familiar with. So, awesome. Well, that's that sounds exciting. And I mean, like when you when you when you cover like you know the Motorola and 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 the the names that you just listed, that's probably a uh, that's a that's a very big portion of the phones that our my listeners are using right now. Right, so right. that's that's exciting, and it's very cool that you're able to bring this type of feature like and it's the type of feature that like a lot of people may not even notice you know it's it's and some of the best features are the ones that you don't even notice like some <laughs> yeah. of the best features just are the turns ones up that good right it just works where have we heard that mm-hmm. before but anyway so well that's awesome um and oh like i just want to take a moment to uh to thank you for uh for taking a few minute, moments of your time to come onto the show and chat about vidhance and all the awesomeness that it will bring in the future um if there's an in and now I want to go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you. If there's anything you want uh, my listeners to know about Vidhance or about you or where we can find you on the internet, where we can learn more about uh, video stabilization, um, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's a fun, fun moment for me then. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, so anyone interested in this, it's, it's a good thing. Just pick up your phone and try it. It's a very easy thing. I think most, most modern smartphones have these kinds of features. Mm-hmm. So give it a uh, give it a try and uh, think about it. That's a good thing. Okay. All right. Any insta any cat Instagram that you want to pimp or anything like that? I'm just messing with you. All right. So, <laughs> again, I'm very tired. So once again, Oleg, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with us about Vidhance, and um, hopefully we can have you on again. Maybe when you uh, announce with a new OEM sometime in the not too distant yeah, future. Yeah. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I would like to thank Olaf Bjork for sitting down with me and chatting about video stabilization and why it makes phones so awesome. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.